Jeff Bezos actually said it pretty well. Someone was upset that he said Black Lives Matter, and he told that person on Twitter to his face, right? I don't mind losing you as a customer, right? So I think there's a point where you know I don't know they did some charts in the you know the marketing and finance department of like you know what we can afford to lose the racist and we'll still be fine. Someone did some math somewhere and figured out like you know what this is the side of history we want to be on and this is worth it for us. That was Alfonso Ali Wright of Brooklyn Tea, a tea room he owns with his partner Jamila McGill in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn. As Alfonso says, tons of brands are making statements right now, on Instagram, in emails, and elsewhere, whether out of genuine compassion for what's going on, or, let's face it, due to peer pressure, or fear of not saying anything. But where is all of this soul-searching actually heading? And will the huge rise in interest in black-owned brands continue far beyond this news cycle? That's the topic of this edition of The Courier Weekly. So welcome back to the show. I'm Daniel Giacopelli, and this is the brand new weekly podcast from Courier Magazine. Everyone who hasn't been living under a rock by now knows what's been going on the past few weeks in America and around the world. The Black Lives Matter protests have caused huge ripple effects across society, but also across the business world too. And in particular, there's been an absolutely enormous rise in interest in black-owned brands. But is this just a flash in the pan? Is it cynical? Or will it lead to actual lasting impact? Or is it a bit of all of the above? Here's Jamila and Alfonso from Brooklyn Tea. So I've been making my mom tea since I was three years old. My mother's Jamaican, so tea is a big part of our culture. We drink tea in the morning. We drink tea when we're sick. We drink tea if we sprain our ankle. Tea is a solution to everything. Being the mischievous child, as Jamila likes to call it, I started taking sugar out of my mom's tea little by little to see if she would notice, and she never did. That kind of got me to rabbit hole into you know, thinking about are we drinking sugary drinks because we like them or because it's a habit. And that got me into tea and tea culture, and I kind of just loved that world of the tea culture and the varietal of tea. Years later, I meet this young lady, and... And then we start dating. I am a Southern Belle at heart, and so at that time, I'm just drinking sweet iced teas. Hot teas are, like, not even in my repertoire at that point, only if I'm, like, on my deathbed feeling sick. And so Ali did this really beautiful job of courting me, right? <laughs> Make these beautiful pots and cups of teas with like cinnamon sticks at the bottom. I just kind of fell right into it. And we decided to go with that idea of creating communion and ways to bring people together through a tea company. And so we started online in 2017. We opened our storefront here in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn in December of 2018. We're now a year and a half old, and we're still moving. Yep. What are both of your takes on kind of the the rush of a lot of media right now and a lot of just a lot of attention right now on on Black-owned businesses as a thing? It's more in the media now than it probably has ever been. Do you think that's superficial? Is it surface level? Will it do good in the long run? I think it's D, all the above, right? And (laughs) I think some of it is a genuine interest. I believe there have been businesses that aren't predominantly Black-owned who have come out to support us pre-COVID. There are ones who we've never heard of who come up or people we've been eager to connect with who are now coming 
onto the scene and I think it runs the gamut and for us we choose to be realistic and not oblivious to what those different things are but still have the ultimate goal of driving our business and increasing our brand awareness increasing the benefits of tea to as many watchers and viewers and audiences as possible because at the end goal we know that once people get our product it doesn't matter how they got to us we didn't expect it uh we didn't see it coming of course but it's kind of um heuristics right so it's it's on top of everyone's mind right now and because it's on top of everybody's mind right now because they see it on social they see it on cnn they see you know the inequality and the disparities that america i guess leverages on black folks is now very apparent very in your face and one of the ways to combat that is economically so i think people are just doing something and it happens to be this thing they're doing is highlighting black businesses in a way they've never had before hopefully this has some long-term effects but it's never been done before like this. So, you know, we really don't know what the long-term effect is going to be because this is brand new territory. When Blackout Tuesday happened last Tuesday, I was amazed at how many large corporations made an actual message about Black Lives Matter. Usually corporations kind of just shy away and try to have no message at all as much as possible. Oh, they use fluff words like diversity instead of just saying, like diverse businesses instead of just saying black-owned businesses or saying women-owned businesses instead of black and women-owned businesses. So there have always been tiptoe and skirted attempts at trying to get towards it. But again, not this frank and not this blunt and spelled out in so many different of the the conglomerates. But do you think so much of that, a cynic would say, is just corporate crisis management, right? Yeah, a large part. I think they have staff members that they have to answer to. There is a black man and a black woman sitting at their desk wondering where their company stands. And and I think they're getting internal pressures. Right. And peer pressure. I mean, if you are Lyft and Uber, right, who are competitors, and Lyft makes a bold statement like Black Lives Matter, and you're sitting there like, "Uh uh-oh, what do we do now, right? Because if you say nothing, you're going to lose some shareholders, right? You're going to lose some share. If you say the wrong thing, and I think Jeff Bezos actually said it pretty well. Someone was upset that he said Black Lives Matter, and he told that person on Twitter to his face, right, I don't mind losing you as a customer. And if we were to reflect back on boycotts that have happened, the the bus boycotts, right? I think the intention was not to focus on, did we change the heart of the bus driver, right? That'd be great. The boycott was done because there was money, there was power in the dollar. Even if you are racist, we're going to make you treat us better (laughs) because you have to decide about if you care about your racism more or do you care about supporting yourself and your family more. When you guys are looking forward to the coming months, I mean, the past four or five months have just been total instability, chaos, crisis after crisis, political instability, economic instability. How do you guys plan the day-to-day, the month-to-month of of the company, not knowing really what next is going to hit us? You know, is a comet going to fall from the sky or aliens going to come down and kind of, (laughs) I mean, it's like 2020 has been the year of all years, right? How do you plan a business amid that? I mean, we're in a bad dystopian movie right now. Um, so I guess when the zombies come out, we'll start selling something to them. I'm not sure. Um, zombies love tea, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I hope so. Gotta we'll, stay hydrated. We'll convert them. <laughs> um, 
But I think what we're doing really is day by daying it. What COVID taught us and you know is we have to be adaptable, we have to pivot, we have to evolve. So whatever comes next, we're just gonna take it as it is and do whatever we can to overcome it. Uh, and that's really all we can do. We just kind of plan in the moment and think of a you know a short-term, long-term strategy. How we get through this month. <laughs> and then, okay, something weird happened. All right, how we get through that next month? It seems, especially until the pandemic's over or until you know there's a vaccine, it seems almost foolish because we don't know when the next wave is going to happen to make long-term plans right now, unless it's like years out. And because we're a startup new business, years out also is you know, a little crazy. We have no historical data to go by. So I think we're focusing our energy on how can we pivot? How can we evolve? How can we adapt to what's coming you know, this week, next week, so we can just kind of stay alive? Alfonso Ali Wright and Jamila McGill of Brooklyn Tea in New York. So where are brands going wrong with their approaches to diversity and inclusion? How can they implement better practices internally and better recruitment too? And how can they communicate what they stand for? Well, I posed all of that and a bit more to Charlotte Williams, the founder of 7-6 Agency, a diversity-focused social media and influencer marketing agency right here in London. Here's Charlotte. Social media does not mean that you have finished the work. So you may have posted your black square on the Tuesday and you now may have trickled some diverse content onto your feed and tagged your favourite black content creators or black owned businesses but it doesn't stop there and I think what's really important to note is that it's not what you're doing on social that matters. It is quite tricky because we have a call out culture so if they're not posting something on social there will people calling them out to ask why but I think what businesses really need to understand is the job needs to be done behind the scenes so you need to look at your internal structure as a company If you look around your room on a normal day, what does your team look like? How does that reflect what you're posting on social? So the reason why you may not have done the best job at being diverse or creating inclusive content is because your team is not inclusive and it's not a diverse team that when you look around the room, you feel like you have included everyone that's voice needs to be heard. So my personal opinion and what I'm suggesting with my clients is okay if you have posted the black square that's great but look into now not going crazy with your statements because a lot of you can't make those statements and focusing on how within your team you can create a new structure what roles do you need to fill in your team can you actively force your recruitment people whoever whether you use external or internal people for this can you encourage them and I would say force them to look outside of their normal box and don't go to who they normally look for because that's obviously not working look at other ways that you can recruit a diverse workforce outside of that looking at ways that you can actively support communities be that through donating and I know that a lot of companies especially on the larger side actually aren't able to donate to certain causes because of the policies that they have within them so if you can't donate money can you donate time can you make sure that you are offering mentorship schemes are you can you bring people into your business that can learn from you and then get you know something on their cv to say i worked with x company and that will lead them to getting a really good job because they've done really good work with you can you host other brands who 
would need the help on your platform and share them with your audience. There are so many things that you can do as a brand that doesn't involve posting something on your social media. You know, it's sort of like if a tree falls in a woods and nobody's around to hear it, like, did it happen? I I guess kind of thing. Like, do you have to communicate, though, what you're doing behind the scenes? Like, can you be incredibly mission-driven and and focused on diversity behind the scenes and recruiting and everything, but if you don't post anything, you've still fallen short? Or do you have to constantly communicate what you're doing so your customers and followers know? What I've advised some of my clients is, you know, they have a bit of a way to go. And right now, if they did inform their audience what they were doing, it's the beginning, a skeleton of a structure. And I think until you have that firm structure in place where you know that you are actively helping in whichever way that is, there's not actually much point in saying anything. So I think it's really important to have everything that you're doing noted. And if someone asks you specifically, well, what is it that you're doing? You can then say, you know, we've taken the time as a team to internally shift and figure out what our plan is. But also, if you want to know what we're doing, here it is. We're not quite there yet. But and I don't think there's anything wrong because the problem is none of this has ever been done. We're in a really weird situation where everyone's calling out these brands for not doing anything, you know, for the last however many years that they've existed. And now they've got an opportunity to do something. And you can't create your like amazing strategy in a week. It's been a week. So one of the PRs that I work with, actually, he said this, you can't end 400 years of systemic racism with one week of strategizing internally. And that's true. Like, you can't do that. So I think it's really important to just take ownership of what you're doing and know that you're doing it with good intent. And I think that's the most important thing. Not doing it because you have to, which you know, you kind of do, but knowing that you're doing it because you actually want to see change and you can think of ways that you can truly support and you can make change using your platform, using your company, using your resources. And then once you have that in place and it's in a place where you're able to share it in a valid way for it to actually make sense, then you can go on to do that. But if you've just spent a week looking at what your plan is, Right now isn't really the time to be shouting about this amazing plan you've put together when there's no action that's been taken. That was Charlotte Williams from 7-6 Agency. And finally this week, we're in Atlanta to hear from Archie Clay III and Taj Crutch. They're the co-founders of Wear Brims, a super cool hat brand, fedoras in particular, that they founded back in 2017. We caught off about the challenges of growing a fashion brand and the power of protest and voting. So I came to Taj with this idea of creating our own fedora hat company. I was like, yo, I have this idea of creating a hat company. What you think? You know, he was like, oh, no, bro, you know. I got the phone call from him and I was just like, what's up, man? I thought it was an everyday casual conversation phone call. Like, have you seen this on Instagram? Or it was like, oh, da 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 I thought it was an everyday casual conversation. But he came to me and he was like, hey, man, I think we need to start our own luxury fedora hat company. And I was like. Okay, Archie. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I, I didn't take him serious from the beginning. I was just like, I thought it was just a regular conversation. I thought he was just throwing out an idea, like those everyday ideas that would probably just blow over probably the next couple of days. He was consistent. He hit me back the next day. He was like, yo, man, listen, I'm dead serious about our conversation yesterday. Uh, I would like to, for us to team up and create this bond. It's, it's a market for us right now. No one is doing it. 
and we could be the first to do this. And our personal style palettes, we wore fedoras in our own personal style. So it was like, it only makes sense. I was like, okay, maybe this is a sign because, I mean, we both love fashion and we wanted to get into the fashion lane, just didn't know exactly if that was our calling or if it was or not. So when he came with the idea, I was like, maybe this is a sign for, you know, us to team up and do this, you know, start this journey. And um, he was like, listen, I already got our manufacturer. I already got where we can get our felts from. I already got everything lined up. We just got to come up with a, a name, identity, and start this mission. And I was like, okay. So we were just going through different names. We were like, we'll talk about this later on about names. And then I was like, well, if we call it Brims, like that. And then I was just like saying this, throwing it out there on some jokingly. He was like, no, that can work because that's strong. That's strong. It's just like, you know what I'm saying? We can just tell them wear brims, you know what I'm saying? As our little slogan or our saying, wear brims, you know what I'm saying? So the company started with as brims and then it just adapted the wear brims as it grew. So I was like, okay, bet let's run with it. The brand is something special to both of us. Like it the, the kind of goes back into our, our history and, and our aesthetic of our grandparents parents and things of that nature, Taj's grandparents and my grandparents, mostly my granny. My granny passed away from cancer about 11 years ago. She was a very influential person in my life for me. My father had a mental breakdown when I was around like one, two years old and like kind of was removed from my life at that time period for a good minute. So my grandmother kept that energy all the time. I always looked up to her. I always, she always was a motivational factor to me. So I was just like, man, like as we was thinking of ideas for the logo, things of that nature, I knew that her her favorite bird was the red robin. So I was like, okay, cool. It's a dope type of like aesthetic. It's still cool. It still has a dope vibe to it. So we made the logo. Every time we look at it, it's kind of a motivational factor for both of us because we know where the mindset and the shift for us came from, right? And we knew that it's kind of bigger than us. It's bigger than us. It's for our family. Like we're creating a, a brand and a foundation that symbolizes our family. Because at the end of the day, family means the world to both of us. Like without family and friends, our brand wouldn't be where it is right now, honestly, be very transparent. And that's just kind of the birth of where it burns, you know? <laughs> and when you guys launched, was it entirely online, direct-to-consumer? Yeah. We launched officially March of 2017. The idea of the brand was created in 2016. So we officially launched the brand in 2017. And we had a pop-up, super, super dope. And a lot of people were there. Energy was dope. Launched it there officially in 2017, and that was kind of like the birth. That was kind of the foundation. But even for us, it's just like we knew we had a lot of work to do. We had a lot of work to do. We was in a territory we had we knew nothing about from business, from design. It was a lot of work that we had to kind of put into it, and a lot of hours that we had to kind of investigate and do our homework on creating fedoras. Because when you ask somebody from the jump, like, "How do you create a fedora?" We didn't know that answer. And then people were like, fedoras? Like, you know, because everyone went for the dad hats, baseball caps, T-shirts as their first type of, you know, something to get into the fashion line of their business. But we went straight for fedoras because we felt like that was our calling. So it took us a while to arrange this interview because partly because we were just going back and forth, but also because Archie, I know you were, you were voting the other day. So, I mean, what's going on right now in Atlanta? What are you voting for, for those who aren't in the U.S.? Equal rights. That's what I'm voting for. I think that we're in a time where value is important, right? We can talk about this all day. We know the impact that we play in society. We know the impact that we played in America as a whole. And I think that what I'm voting for is what's always been known for forever. 
You know what I mean? Like nothing has changed. The only difference is this now it's in, it's in the forefront of media. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Like everything that's always been there has always been here. Like it's always been in our faces as we drive, as we see a cop behind us, like as we see everything, it's always been there. Like it's never changed, you know? So I think when I say I'm voting for, I'm voting for equal rights, man. And we, we've been saying that since civil rights. Like me and Taj, we're part of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated that was founded on that, on civil rights, right? And that's where our founders stood for, point blank period. So we've been fighting for this for so long. I think now just like, it's good to see everyone come together. And I'm not talking about just race and being black. I'm saying, I've seen this perfect picture in a post on Instagram. It's not black versus white. It's, it's color versus racism. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think it's not a black and white thing. It's everybody versus racism. That's what it is. That's what I'm voting for. Do you both think that voting will lead to any tangible difference or is it mass protests in the street and kind of the power of people in the faces of racists, essentially, that will kind of make actual change? Can it come from the bottom up or does it have to come from the top down? I even had to tell myself this because I, when I, when everything first started, I had to educate myself. I think that's the most important thing is educate yourself. Educate yourself on what's going on and the issues that are going on. And that aligns back to voting. And I'm going I'm to bring up a perfect example, right? And I told Tyson yesterday, this is how they suppress our votes. This is a perfect example of how they suppress our votes. So if I've been an active voter since I was 18 years old, I am 30 years old now. I am 30 years old. I've been active I've been voting since I was 18. My mom don't play with that. Like my mom is very pro-black and like, yo, you're gonna exercise your right to vote since I was 18. So I even voted 2018 for our mayor, the mayor's election uh, for Keisha, who is our mayor. <laughs> but when I went to the poll yesterday, they said I wasn't registered to vote. And I was just like, wait, what? Like how? So I went to voter.org just to check and make sure. And I literally wasn't registered to vote. Sometimes Somehow I got kicked out the kids system. So I say this story to say that also just to educate people that may be listening or will be listening is that, hey, like, please make sure that you're registered to vote, even though you may think you're registered to vote, because they are doing this to keep us from voting and keep our votes from not counting. Point blank, period. Like, I've never had this happen before. Why all of a sudden now for someone that votes every election in the most important election of, of everything that all of a sudden I'm not able to vote? Like, that's crazy to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's crazy to me. That tells you how much voting matters because we can, like Todd said, we can protest. Like, everything that we do matters. Like, everything is a part of the strategy, right? To get our point across, to get the change across. I said a couple days ago, like, just because you don't think it works does not mean it's not working. I'm not a supporter of looting and the rioting, but everything plays a role in the the advancement of making a, a change, right? from protesting to the looting, to the back rooms, to have being in Congress, to being on the local end of the, to elections. Like, and we've been taught that the local elections don't matter. But honestly, I feel like the local elections matters as much as the presidential election and the sitting in, in, in the Congress, because those individuals that are taking care of those cases for you on the lower end to push it up. And if you have the low and then you have somebody at the top, it kind of goes together like this they can have a stronger impact together because they're working together. I guess as two black business owners, have you faced or how have you faced specific discrimination or challenges or, you know, if you look at startup funding and we have, I mean, it's just abhorrent to the kind of divide between who gets venture capital and who doesn't in terms of your background and your race. We haven't like directly faced those, but I think you can't really answer that like fully because it's like, the systems have already been put in place. So it's just like, 
you never know how that's hurting you, which I'm sure it would be. Because even from a fashion, a high-end fashion standpoint, I was just talking to one of my peers yesterday about how it's hard for to be recognized as a high-end fashion brand in these high-end magazines because they really don't want us there. If you look at it like PR Moss or Fear God, like these brands are, are able to be in it because they've have built the credibility through their celebrity influencers and things like that. They can have to back up their brand. Right. And I think, of course, that goes for every every brand and things of that nature. But I think it's a little harder when you are a dope brand and reach out. And it's just like you may they may not say, hey, we're not working with black brands. But at the same time, it's just like there may be a little bias in the sense of like, hey, they may be a black brand. We don't know. We don't know what they're thinking, because if you're working, if you're trying to reach out to a, a company like Bo that may be fully white, you never know what the conversations are on the flip side of things. To answer your question, I think that we haven't dealt with that, but I think that the mindset is already there. So when you're working through, you're working through it, you're pushing against the envelope because they're already like, you know, they have the system in place. They already been taught already of what they think in their minds just from how they work and how they move that it may be harder. But at the same time, we have systems in play for us that kind of help us navigate that. Because at the end of the day, if you have financial backing, it's easier to push your, your narrative. Like you really don't need to have the individual because now you have the money to back it, right? So when you have the money to back it, Money speaks, honestly, if you think about it in America, money speaks more than race. When you have money, then that money talks. You know what I'm saying? But if you don't have as much money, then money don't really talk for real for real. It's difficult to answer that question because it's just like, I think the systems have already been in place for us. Why Fashion Week? They don't want us there. Create our own Fashion Week. You know, it's unfortunate that we have to do that. You know what I mean? But at the same time, it's just like, now, now that you look at all, that's why it's, it's important for me, like even... Like other brands, other magazines that have been reaching out to us. And I, and I love it, but at the same time, it's just like I always say this, like, it needs to be organic. It needs to be organic. It needs to be something where it's not done because everybody's doing it. We're hoping that it's not a temporary thing or just like you said, a 10-minute conversation and then next week it blows over. We have been getting a lot of people reaching out to us and if they're going to allow us to explain it, how we feel and tell our story. And yeah, we, we it needs to be heard at the same time because Yes, you might just open up your platform. Some people might be genuine enough to just talk to us and trying to figure out and educate themselves on what's going on. So they're reaching out to different individuals to just speak to them and gain that knowledge. You have those, and I, and I love that. But then you have the ones that's just, you know, hey, I know what's going on in this moment. Let's just reach out to these Black-owned companies and try to just show that we're doing something so we won't get backlash. If we see that it's not genuine in that, yeah, that's a red flag, but at the same time, we're going to get our story out and you're going to, if you want to hear it, we're going to tell you exactly how we feel and, and we're going to explain what we're going through at these moments. You know what I'm saying? Even if you push it out or not, if you hear it, it might change your perspective of it. You know what I'm saying? Going forward. So I hope everything is genuine that's coming towards us now because at first, when we first started, there's a lot of people we did reach out to that told us no. We closed our door on us and not really gave us the opportunity. But then they see us full circle that we're flourishing and we're doing everything we said we were going to do. And then they see our product is A1 quality, then they're quick to reach back out to us. And they say, hey, yeah, I see that you reach out to us and da 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 But it's just like, what was that same energy when we was just starting up and trying to, you know, build something from scratch that we really have no backing. It was just me and Archie, every cent out of our pocket. And we were just asking for not even a handout or anything, just a, just a pat on the back or just a like, hey, a conversation. That's it. It's fortunate now that it took some of these companies to notice us that because of what's going on. But 
before this was going on, a lot of companies have was reaching out to us before the whole George Floyd protests and everything like that. But now we're starting to see a lot of more companies come to these black owned brands and trying to figure out and educate their company as well by speaking to black owned companies. Archie Clay III and Tosh Crutch there from Ware Brims in Atlanta. And that's it this week. As always, if you've got any questions, comments, or feedback about anything at all, just reach me at daniel at couriermedia.co. I'm Daniel Giacopelli. The Courier Weekly is back again next week.